Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello everyone, welcome back to Sharp Cuts. My name is Garrett May alongside Josh Nickel. As always, welcome back to the show. Excited for the show today. We've got a few things to talk about that we've prepped in advance. Unbelievable, I know, Josh. Today we've got a great guest, Eric Simon. Welcome back to the show. We had you on the show before and I completely blew it and we lost all, all evidence of that show. So welcome back. Are you happy to be here or are you still pissed? Uh, you know what? It uh, I had to decline you guys a couple of times because you know there was there was no sense of reliability in there. But uh, I've I've taken a look at your guys' data procedures. I see the redundancy. Okay. You've got multiple servers, okay. so I feel confident that uh, this valuable this valuable interview will be uh, will be kept. So. That's right. You Here had to like smack us down a few times. Say no, yeah, I can't come because you guys blew it last time. So our bad there. <laughs> so Josh, thanks for contributing so far, by the way. So let's jump into things right away. Um, topic today, Team Canada has recently announced um, a new head coach for the men's program here in Canada. If you're not Canadian, sorry, we're talking about Canadian volleyball. Um, and it's Ben Josephson, the head coach of the Trinity Western men's volleyball program for the last, I don't know how many years, but it feels like as long as I can remember, he's been the coach there. Very successful program, Canadian guy hopping in to take over the reins after uh, Glenn Hogue kind of decided that, yeah, he's not going to do it anymore. Still coaching pro in Turkey, though. Um, so, yeah, I figured we could just talk about the thoughts because I know I definitely have some. I do want to preface this, though, by saying I think we can say we all like Ben. He's a great guy. Very respectful. Um, has had a lot of success. So any criticisms is not at this guy, Ben, because he's a great person, but just the whole system in, in general. So where do we want to start, boys? What are we feeling? Well, well, for the listeners, why this is such a big deal, I have it in front of me, Garrett. Uh, Glenn took over the program in 2006. He first stepped away in 2016 when Antica came in. And then when Stefan Antica had to step away, it was Glenn who came back in, right? So it's been Glenn's program since 2006. So that's why it's kind of a big deal that one, Glenn is stepping aside and someone new is going to come in. And two, we hired a Canadian, which I think is awesome. Actually, on that note, is anyone else just like, how can you have somebody not from your nation be the coach of your national team? Like that is always, and, and it's not just volleyball, but that yeah. is always just blowing my mind. Like, For sure. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a German soccer coach coaching the England soccer team. Like, I feel like it should know. be a real, a rule almost. Like, yeah, it, like it, it's if, if the that team just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. yeah, like you're hold on, you're you're not from the country, you know. I'm sure he has a passport now, but that that rule has always just blown my mind. I'm like, that makes no sense in all sports, not just volleyball. Well, the so biggest we one that caught me off guard was a Finn was coaching Russia at the Olympics, and Russia has like a ton of volleyball coaches in a pro league. Like they couldn't find a local guy that the Finnish guy yeah. was more qualified. Oh, hundred percent. It's like, or yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I don't get it, and I'm glad that we went in the direction of Canadian. That, that's probably the biggest pro for me is because when you know our national teams think about making coaching decisions, it's always a question mark like, okay, where are we going to go with this? I'm sure it is for them too. Like, I'm sure it's not an easy job picking from everybody in the world, but I'm glad we ended up with the Canadian, so that feels good. But uh, I, I, do, I do feel a little bit weird, though, about the step from university coach to national team head coach. Like, I feel like it's it, – it's, it seems like a natural step, but it, there's a big piece missing there, which is kind of the pro adult league thing. Like, and maybe it goes to like how few Canadian pro coaches we have coaching overseas. Like, I don't even know how many do we like. I, I can't even and think of one. Uh, I'm kind of aligned with that too, Garrett. Like, I would say. I think one of the first things he needs to kind of adopt is have some sort of international presence on some sort of pro team in Europe or or where else just to one valuable experience for him at that next level. But two, and, and I think this was super beneficial with Glenn and our national team was you get to take a few of your own players and now you're coaching them year round as opposed to just those couple of months in the summer. So especially being a new coach to that team, you want to be, if you're going to be adopting a new system, you want to get as much time with some of your players as possible. So I think for me, I would love to be able to see him try to get a, an international job, have that extra, those extra hours of coaching that high level under his belt. 
So I'm going to take the other side here. And if we have any American listeners, or maybe you're on my side or maybe you're going to roll your eyes, but the U.S. coach, John Sabraz, a university-level coach, and I don't know if they think that cost them at the Olympics or if it helped them. So it has been done before. And I think Benjo, out of all the U Sports coaches, does have an international presence. The Trinity guys are as pro-ready as he get. They have a guy from Trinity on every team we have. If you pay attention to some of the clubs in Europe, like it seems like Luxembourg always has a Trinity guy. So it seems like he has a pipeline to that club. He probably knows the style of play a little bit where I think the benefits of having a Canadian outweigh a good international coach from a sense of, yeah, the men's game is a little bit different and managing Garrett's totally different, but he's got a development system. And and I think the one flaw in Canada we usually have, and we've seen it on the women's side before Shannon stepped in, is people from outside of Canada that don't understand our sports system. They don't understand how kids grow up. They don't understand CCAA and U sports. So they try to always blow it up or tweak the system or change it a little bit where Benjo is a U sports guy. So he's, he's going to know what coaches go through. He's not going to be like poking at them saying, Oh, the development system here, we need to change everything. He knows the coaches. He knows how kids get to the national team. So uh, I think he brings a lot of benefits with uh, the big glaring one, Garrett, I agree without the international experience, but he's also coached our teams. Like Trinity went to some event here in the fall to represent team Canada. Right. So, he's been around international volleyball just never in, in the head chair right yeah yeah and i'm not saying i would i would hold that against him but i would say i think that is a valuable piece he needs to pick up and and i think like you know i would say my my primary reason for that is being able to coach your some of your teammates year round i think that is more important in in my eyes than just you know that international experience because yeah like i'm looking at some of the u sport history it looks like he's won CIs one, two, three, four, five times since being there. They're always one of the top teams in the country. Like I, I don't think there's any arguing the guy has exceeded what was expected of him at the U Sport level. So, yeah, I think it's a totally reasonable pick. But I would say I think to help and support the program of the new national team, getting a a head coaching job in one of the pro teams somewhere in Europe or one of the other countries, I think that would be just extremely valuable. See, I hadn't even thought of that, Eric, like saying, hey, yeah, this is our guy. But then saying, hey, as part of this, let's let's get you going and get you involved and take you to the next level. Like part of a new quad, like, yeah, you'll come, you'll help our programs. You know all these young guys coming in because half of them were on your team. But yeah. then also you, you played against these guys. So coming in, you're going to be all right. But then let's add that piece there where maybe we can get you some international experience, like coach some of these other teams. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about that. If that ends up being what happens, I think I feel way better about this decision than I, like I do at the moment. Like, I don't think anybody would say that this is going to be a rebuilding cycle for Team Canada. Like, I think there's expectations of making Paris, going there, and, you know, if they can make that push past the quarterfinals, like, huge success. So, that being said, like, where are, where are your starters going to be during most of the year? They're going to be in some other foreign country playing volleyball. And if you can have them on your team, you know, being able to adopt systems that you're going to be running in three years time. Like, I think that's the big thing is you're not talking three years away, not four. And if there's going to be, you know, depending on how radical of changes you're planning to make in the formatting and the system and the style of play, you want to get as many hours with them as possible. Yeah. So let's let's look at examples, right? Because Glenn's done this. Like he's coached Gord before. He's coached Jay. Uh, Shawan was on Antigua's team. Like it has happened before. Didn't he have but, TJ as well for a bit? Probably. Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. That's just the top, off the top of my head. But it does happen in in bunches, but not the whole team. We're talking two or three guys a year, right? So is that more valuable than Ben leaving his full time job, his family? He's got kids. Like he he's got a lifestyle set up here, and he's built the one of the best programs in U Sports, right? Well, so does he, he's him gonna going have to do to, that anyway, though, Josh? Like, but does him going to Germany mean he has a better coaching experience than him coaching at Trinity? Like, they already play a pro style. Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, like, no, him I, asking I, him yeah, to move his family. Like, I think that piece is, is pretty is pretty clear. Like, with the jump between our our U Sport program, even from the best team to the to the national team level, like we're not talking B team, Fichu game. But we're talking like Olympic caliber player is a huge jump. Like, how many guys go from our league to play pro? 
very, very few. So no, 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 no. I'm going to challenge that right away. Since your era, different. Since the guys after you, Stephen Marr, big contract contributing right away. Like these guys are leaving U Sports and getting the big deals. They're not pulling. Unfortunately, Paul Durden had to waste a couple of years in the lower leagues. Or national team guys used to go play in Belgium. They're going to Russia. They're going to Italy. Like they're getting the big boy jobs right away out of university. Yeah. Sorry. What I mean is, you do have one or two players from each team, maybe from the best teams, who go and achieve, get pro contracts, maybe make a jump to the national team right away who have the ability but what i'm saying is coaching a team where you maybe have one stud or one or two and maybe on trinity you get three guys who are destined there in a few years but the whole team the whole style of play the teams you're playing against you now you're playing against six studs at an international level like that that piece is very different to me i'm not i don't think i doubt his ability to transfer but i do i do have to say that the experience of dealing with that pro men dealing with that is is invaluable for a national team head coach i gotta think yeah i, I would agree with you there garrett and, and i don't agree with you often having listened to many of the shows so I'm, I'm starting to question my own integrity now maybe i've lost too much sleep with the newborn but like i, I would say if there were you know if the goal was to hey we're gonna rebuild this year and we're gonna go for 2028 then i would say yeah you know it would make sense keep coaching trinity some of those guys that you're coaching now will probably be live and ready to go for 2028 but i would argue if he get if he's going to keep coaching trinity you know some of those guys will likely be on the team for sure are they going to be key contributors in starting roles for 2023 I don't know. Like I'm looking at the, you look at the roster here from last year. Let's let's assume Gord is truly going to hang up the shoes and not come back for Paris, which I'm going to say he probably makes it back. You know, every athlete has to retire three or four times. So I bet you he comes <laughs> back. But you're still like you've still got Hogue around. You've got Mar. It, like I, I find it hard pressed to say if you're going to tell me you think some folks that are playing at Trinity are going to steal some starting spots from them. So I'll I bet think you Eric Lepke's on that team. I'll bet anything. Oh, a million dollars I don't even have that he's on that I, I would agree with that one as well. But uh, are you going to go back to Trinity just to, to kind of dial in on coaching one player? Or, I, like, I think, and, and I just looked it up, TJ did play uh, a season with uh, Arcas, and I'm assuming Glenn was the coach at that time. But I just think, you know, you get the, that extra year with a setter, and you're able to kind of work with him every day, and you can kind of say, hey, here's what I value in an offense. I think we got to establish middle early, or I want middle and pipe over. Right? You just get so many more hours where if he's if Ben's just going to log September through to make coaching his Trinity Western guys, and maybe one or two, two of which go to the national team, I think it's just an opportunity where you could have been coaching the actual starters you're likely going to have in Paris in some other foreign country. Yeah. Like think about the life of a university coach and what actual coaching actions they're taking, right? You got to think recruiting is a huge piece. And and I mean, he nobody would argue that he's not recruiting great players. I mean, there, there's no doubt. Player development. So taking the players you do recruit and taking to the next level. I mean, those are two huge pieces that you spend a lot of your time focusing on as a U-sport coach here in Canada. And those are two things you really don't need to do much of as a national team head coach right like you're not trying to recruit guy you're getting the best of the best who are trying to come to your team and you're not really necessarily trying to take them I mean maybe with the B team maybe with the junior team but with the senior team it's like no like the expectation is you're ready to perform at the highest level right now we're trying to organize this in the best way we can right well, let's let's play out this hypothetical then let's say what coach was available who fits this mold because I, I agree with you it's valuable but i don't think there was a realistic one and the reason i say that is let, let's spike let's speculate like i'm a real journalist probably dan lewis had an interview how do you not consider that guy he's at ftc he's been a pro player but not a lot of coaching experience right now so maybe ben joe wins that column uh we've had international coaches help out on the youth level like glenn's a big bravo fan but hearing from some of the youth athletes amazing technical mind amazing volleyball mind the chain went from him speaking portuguese to one person on the staff who could then translate it to French to Adam Simak who converted it to English for the athletes. So if he can't speak English in the huddle, he can't speak French to our athletes. I don't care how smart you are. That's a broken game of telephone. So I don't know if he fits over Benjo. So who else would fit this mold other than a true international where Lupo on the German side, I know he's doing well in Winnipeg on the university level, but didn't really like click with our athletes, didn't really do well. Marcello on the women's side from Italy didn't get the job done. And Antigua didn't leave for volleyball reasons. I believe it was a family reason, but we tried a 
top level pro coach there yeah. and it wasn't going to work. No, right? So I don't think I agree with you. Works. I just don't think we don't have somebody who fits the mold right now. And that's why I'm over the moon for Benjo. Yeah. Like what do we do? Like what are our Canadian coaches doing that we don't have a ton, maybe close to zero Canadian coaches going and coaching pro teams? I mean, obviously, we don't have a pro league here, but I mean, Glenn did that for years, is still doing it. Is he the only one we have? And was that because he was our national team head coach and then went and played pro because of that clout? Like, maybe that is the path for Ben to kind of come in, coach national team, and then move over to pro, really where he can, you know, just sink his teeth in and get his feet wet. But, you know, do we have any other Canadian coaches coaching pro overseas? I don't know of any. Uh, I know Mike uh, Boston's does, so that's an excuse for us to get him on the show where he can come on Passing Dimes because he I'd is over. I'd love to hear his story. So he's coached. Uh, he was somewhere different last year. I believe he's in Japan this year, but it was he in Denmark or something last year? Anyways, he is, yeah, so he was in Denmark. He won a cup there. Uh, but yeah, the, Garrett, uh, we're a volleyball show, and off the top of my head, I could I don't think I could name six. Like I don't know if there are any. So. I can't name. I, you name Mike Boston's great. I could name Glenn Hogue, Mike Boston's. That's my list. <laughs> I like. Don't get me wrong. I think. I can't list someone better than Benjo. So I'm saying I am totally for thumbs up. I love the idea. And also I like the idea of bringing in, you know, younger coaches, right? I, I don't necessarily just like the, Hey, let's move our assistant coach to our head coach because you're just kind of, sometimes you're just stuck in that same system and, and having that, you know, new younger generation coaching. I mean, you see it a lot in the NFL, right? Like the, the LA Rams and Sean McVay, like they come in with this new creative mindset and, and especially a game like volleyball that's just changed so much in the last 10 years why not bring in younger guys that might have a different view different opinion so i love them the only other guy i think you could add to the list of potential candidates would probably be dave preston so um yeah i think benjo's a great call and i think what i would say is kind of my most valued thing that i want to see in a new coach coming to the team is can you control the locker room right and i think him coming in there and likely going to have quite a few Trinity Western, former Trinity Western players already on the team. You've kind of already got, you know, 20, 30 percent of the locker room bought into you, willing to accept you. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would be hard for that to spread and eventually have control of the whole locker room. I think you start bringing in completely foreign coaches and now you're you've got that yeah. situation of who is this guy? Why is he coming in? I've never seen him before. Maybe they try to adapt too quickly and make too many radical changes. Especially in a three-year turnaround time, you, you got to get control of that locker room real quick. And I think having Ben Joe, who's coached a good chunk of the team that's likely going to be on the roster for 2024, is probably already halfway there. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think like I, I would say that's probably a big a challenge for him to come in and have to deal with these adult men, especially the ones who didn't play on his team. But from having talked with him and just over the years dealt with him, it just seems like a guy who speaks to people with respect, tells you like it is, and... Um, you know, is you know, well spoken and never really seems to lose his temper kind of guy, which I know everybody really hates the guy coming in yelling at everybody. Like, um, so it just seems like that's I don't think that's gonna be a problem for him. I do wonder though, like, what does that look like with him coming in and kind of developing what's he bringing in terms of the system for the team? Like, how's our team gonna play differently? Are, are we gonna play very differently? Or are we just gonna keep doing what Glenn had those guys doing for the past? few years like is it going to be the trinity style like obviously it would need to be different so then what's it going to look like i mean if you're the head coach coming a new head coach coming into team canada are you coming in and going all right guys we're doing we're changing this this and this or is it more gradual like what does that even look like i have no idea I think the team has to look different because as much as I love this guy and I want to see him play again, is TJ done? Like he's had some gnarly, gnarly injuries. He sometimes doesn't play pro. So if you take away the setter, uh, hopefully Jay's ready to step in that role. And hopefully he's he's not getting too old that he can play another cycle. Like, does that mean Walsh gets a look or some of these other young setters? So I think the, the setter really influences the offensive system. If we do lose TJ, losing Gord all of a sudden changes the identity. So the, the door is open a little bit for guys to fill in. And maybe that is the opportunity to change the system or try new stuff as pieces are moving around naturally that it, that's maybe the opportunity to make a switch here and you might already have a few guys on your starting roster that are used to the system you're bringing in so the adoption rate might be even quicker than uh, a team that's never played under benjo right but is he going to bring in what he does at trinity like is that that's i mean we won't know i guess but i'd be curious like okay you're going to come in because if it's me 
And now I'm not exactly the most, the ideal teammate example for how somebody would deal with their coach. Um, but if, if I'm there and, and university coach is coming in and bringing his system that he's running with the university team, I would be saying, what the heck are you doing, man? This is, this is pro. Like this is, these are adult pro men. Like we're going to run the same thing we did in uh, university. We got to be at least a little bit different. I feel like. Yeah, Peter, I, I agree, Garrett. I think I'm really curious to see how that, what kind of changes go on to the team because yeah, I, th- I could definitely see other people sharing that adoption of that or that mindset that you're having of, you know, why this feels like almost like a step back, right? Like we're at that international level. Why are we taking a step back? Um, I, I, I don't know if he would do that. I don't think he would. I feel yeah. like three years is too short of a turnaround to start to kind of make yeah. extreme changes. I think it might be more of a, you know, I'm going to make some minor adjustments right. on what I believe. And, and yeah, Josh, you're going to have to make changes. If you if you lose TJ and you're going to a new setter, like that's, that's your new quarterback, right? That's a whole quarterback change. You've got to change your offense to adapt to the strengths of your new setter. So there's going to be changes for sure. I guess it's how hard he pushes. Yeah. Now we haven't had this situation in a long time where our national team head coach is still an active university coach. Um, And my first thought was like, isn't that a bit of a, conflict of interest like do i expect ben to handle it respectfully i do i don't think he's a bad guy but it makes me wonder like is there not some sort of issues there with all the selections like our national team head coach is involved in a lot of stuff or at least glenn was i don't know if ben's necessarily have that same ability to stick his hands in everything like glenn did but you know the head the head coach is around a lot of decisions junior team selections summer training programs there's carding on the table for some of these b team guys so you know, is that not a conflict of interest having the ability to select your own guys from your team for extra training throughout the summers while they're still in university? I mean, if yeah. we're talking conflict of interest, isn't there a player on the national team that shares the same last name as Glenn? I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't he, think I don't think your conflict of interest gets any bigger than that. And and I'm not saying like well, I don't believe there was any bias towards there, but I'm saying you know conflict of interest. Addicts Max was what we kind of just saw with Glenn and and his son, but I, I think it was totally handled professionally. And I, I, I would hope that Ben does the same thing as well. But, you know, if it, I, if it comes down to, hey, on the junior team, these two guys are kind of equal, you know, I've seen so many extra hours of this player. So I know, you know, even if he had somewhat of a rough or a shaky tryout, the nod might go to a Trinity Western player. So yeah, now, like- now I wasn't there. I can't confirm this story, but just to show how how much Glenn is involved, when Dave Preston was the junior national team coach and there was three Mac guys on the team, everyone assumed conflict of interest that Dave picked the team. But it came out afterwards that Glenn selected the team with his evaluation committee and then said to Dave, here's your team. So Glenn was that involved that he's doing his plus minus stats. He's doing his evaluation that even though Dave was the coach, he didn't get to say, I want McCarthy, I want Mar, I want Danny. It was like Glenn saying, here's your team. And it just happened. Oh, here's three Mac guys. So if Ben wants to do the same thing where he pulls a Glenn and he's involved at U19, U21, youth, junior, B team, all this stuff, then yeah, you start to raise your eyes and be like, man, that's a lot of Trinity guys. Yeah. Don't you? Even though they are sometimes that much better than the other guys, don't you just honestly go, that's a lot of Trinity guys. I do. Trinity guys. I do, because I'm a, I'm a, but I mean, to, to be honest, even if like, let's just, let's just rewind and say Ben Joe has been the coach for the past two years. There's currently a lot of Trinity guys where, like, even if the team stayed the exact same, we'd be like, that's a lot of Trinity guys. But, like, it's it's been completely unbiased, and Glenn picked those players. It just shakes out. Yeah, they're producing a great crop of guys, and you can guarantee every graduating year at least one of them is going to the senior national team, and typically more than one. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no doubt that when Glenn was the head coach, there was some conflict of interest there with his kids. Like, there's no doubt that Nick and Chris both had opportunities and training chances with the national team that players whose parents aren't the national team head coach did not have. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you're going to try to tell me that there's no doubt I had, you know, a leg up on all sorts of other players because my dad ran a pro beach tour. My dad coached the our Olympic beach volleyball teams for a few years like that was a less formal position, but I got to train with Marquise when I was 14 years old, like a few times, like you're, you know, there's no, like it, it just happened. Like it's, 
it's almost unavoidable in some ways and you do your best to manage it. I'm not saying there's anything nefarious there, but at some point, like, yeah, if, the, if it's on a bubble and you have a choice between a Trinity guy and a not Trinity guy, you're going to pick the Trinity guy, right? Like, I mean, and the rich are going to keep getting richer. Like, that's where my mind goes. They're already dominant. Now, if they get the few, instead of, you know, four or five players on the national team, now they get five, six, seven players making the B, junior, whatever spread teams. Then it's like, nah, they're just going to keep being more and more well, dominant. Well, I think, like, actually going off of that point, Garrett, if he continues to coach Trinity Western, what's that going to do for recruiting now? Like, how many guys that are, you know, hey, I was deciding between Alberta or Trinity – Right, I'm going to go the national team head coach. He's, gonna, he's my national team coach. He's going he's gonna to help me out there. Yes. Right? And so I think, you know, that could throw the whole <laughs> you the talk about connections, the like, world hey, on its head, right? Yeah, like, like the, if, if your, your uh, university coach is going, hey, yeah, I got a lot of connections. I'll find you a pro spot. We'll get yeah. you on the path to the <laughs> national team. And Ben Josephson, our current national team head coach, says the, the same thing. Team. You're like, okay, yeah, I mean, I believe this guy. <laughs> You do realize I select the national yeah, like, team. Right? I'll get you the so, national team, but I mean, he wouldn't yeah. say that. But he could. Yeah. He could say. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it, no words need to be said. It's just the the optics of it of any youth player that you know, if volleyball is their long term goal, and that's kind of the other issue. I think now that we're talking it, I think that's the other issue I have. If he kind of keeps coaching, keeps keeps coaching Trinity is. You know, recruiting classes or anyone that's looking to go volleyball long term. Oh, I'm just going to go to Trinity because he's my national team coach. Exactly. Josh, any rebuttal here? Well, the only again, the only the only bubble I have would be the John Sprague example. And I'm telling you right now, Hawaii's been thumping them like UCLA has not won back to back to back championships because the U.S. men's national team coach was at UCLA. So I, I think kids will still make a decision. I think Trinity does a heck of a job, but there's still a special student goes there, right? Like you, you typically need to be religious faith to to have a good experience there that they're not going to. I don't think they have a, an inside lane on every single athlete. I I agree with you. If it's a bubble, if it's like, ah, I like UBC, I like Alberta, I like Mac and I like Trinity, then you're, you're probably. Probably the tie goes to Trinity, but I don't think that like there's going to be a long lineup that our whole junior national team is going to be at Trinity. I, I just I don't know. I don't see it happening that way. I mean, I, mean, I feel like it kind of happened a little bit with Preston and Mac when he was coaching the the junior or the youth national team. He got a you know a lot of top recruits went there because with the understanding of this is this is my junior or youth national team coach. So I mean, we'll see. That kind of happens now, though, right? Like, if you look at our youth coaches, like Mike Hawkins at UBC is heavily involved. Uh, Brock Daviduk at Alberta is heavily involved. Dave Preston does programs. Nate Groenveld. Like, the, I think the university coaches know, one, to, to go at a higher level and be part of the Volleyball Canada programs is a good experience. But you get a ripple effect from recruiting. And I think that's why you see the big programs continue to give up their summers and their family time to do a Volleyball Canada program, right? Because yeah. the recruiting benefits. I think that's a ripple effect for sure. Yeah, so, like, what are, like... We got to get like, like if you're a university coach then, but listen to what we're saying, though. If I'm a university coach and I want to be successful, I got to go and take part in national team and get my foot in there so I can have a leg up on recruiters that like I feel like that shouldn't be a sentence like a, that we're saying here for our, our league here in Canada. Don't you think, though, like that you got to try to like and you know what it's like, Josh, like the politicking and like. Who even gets picked to coach? And like, you know, we all know and, and, and expect that Ben is a great candidate, but all the positions below that, assistance, all this different opportunities to get your foot in there, like it's a lot of leveraging and politicking and who you know and kind of getting in there, right? Like that's a, that's a bit of a tough game to be playing when you're just a university coach trying to put the best program together that you can. Yeah, I'm not saying it's right. I think it happens, and it probably happens in every sport. You're like, you're telling me Coach K walks into a high school gym that everybody's like, oh, I want to go to Duke versus yeah. like, if I'm I'm a, a coach at West Virginia, I think I'm going head to head with Duke. Like, I think there there is a bit of a pecking order. I I agree with you, Garrett. It's not right in, in terms of because you're right. It's not as simple as oh, you're a good coach, you run a good program, you're going to be the junior national team coach. Like, I don't think that's the how you get those roles. Like, there's obviously an interview process, and you go with who you know sometimes. So. Um, yeah, it, it's not a clear-cut thing, but I think there are other ways to recruit. I mean, you guys were top players, and you both went to Western, and I'm not sure Jim's been a part of Team Ontario, Team Canada. I think he he has like a different path. Yeah, what were we thinking, of... Eric? What are we? What were we thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, the decision that went into my going to Western was just you know some teams were trying to recruit me as a middle because I played a, a good chunk of middle at the club. I'm like, I'm six foot four. I'm an undersized middle. I am not a middle player. I am not going to succeed as a middle. 
Sage opened the door saying, we don't see you as a middle, you know, we see you as a right side and we're losing our best right side next year. So the position was open. I was like, great opportunity to start. I'm going here. Um, but one thing you said, Josh, that I actually kind of sparked my interest was, it was around like Trinity is that unique school, uh, very religious, a lot of set rules in place for not just the athletes, but the students that go there. I wonder if that is going to be a difficult transition for Ben Joe of, you know, you have these athletes and these students that are all kind of, you know, the way I understood it, at least when I was there is you're not allowed to drink. You're not allowed to have sex. Like there's a lot of rules set in place on every student at that school. And now you're going to a national team, which has a lot of different personalities. And is that going to be a tougher role for him to now manage? Because those rules aren't in place on those athletes. Like they were at his school. And now you've got to kind of try to, navigate the different personalities and make sure they're putting the team first. I wonder if that'll be a difficult leap for him. I'm, I'm sure that would be a challenge for him. And he's done, you know, national team coaching stuff before, but I'm sure it's a like a challenge every time, as it would be, though, when you're used to one thing and kind of a, a way of operating for such a long time, and then you venture out into a different area, like the ch- it, it, it's going to feel different. I think this one, think about all the schools in Canada going from Trinity to a national team setting in terms of just culture and environment would be one of the starkest changes you could experience though, right? I gotta think, yeah. I gotta think. I would agree with that. Yeah, like, you know, if you're going from, I, I don't wanna pull a school out of my ass, but you know, going from another school, um, <laughs> you know, or like if you're at Sherbrooke and you walk down the street to Gatineau or whatever, uh, just a few, you know, it's like, it's not, you know, the level's gonna be different, but I'm, you're not gonna exactly feel different in that location. Or you get some of these, you know, great programs out West where it's like the guys are kind of adults running their own life and they don't have these restrictions on them. It's gonna feel different. I'm, I'm sure he's gonna manage it okay, but it is true that that would be quite a different, like a quite a stark change, I feel like. Yeah, we don't need to name the school, but basically if BMS had a men's volleyball team going from that program to like the men's indoor team with Ben Joe now, it'd be different. It'd be different. BMS? You don't watch BMS? You don't watch Blue Mountain State? Oh, That's yeah. What okay. I, was, I was trying. I was like, is that Blue, Ma- <laughs> okay. is that a Blue Mountain State reference? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So if you were at Western, basically, and then going to the national team, <laughs> is that what you're saying, Josh? You got two Western guys, you're taking a shot? It's fair. Is Western the BMS of U Sports? Okay, you you saw the footage from the timeout huddle when we were playing at Nationals, right? You saw that. I mean, you look at one team, it's like, oh, yeah, no, you got to, okay, watch it, you know, you know, talking tactical and then us, let's let's go, let's go, let's go, let's get a win here, boys, come on. Maybe uh, Eric had a different experience, but oh yeah, that was us. <laughs> oh, we were we were in that same boat sometimes. <laughs> I, was that the game against Trinity too, Garrett? Maybe, yeah, maybe. And Spe- was that the game you guys beat Trinity? Yeah. So I will say, I, so I, I was going to say this at the you beginning. You got to throw Jim Sage's name in the hat of potential hey. head coaches to take over the national team. <laughs> Undefeated against Trinity Western, I think. That's, yeah. I, I don't know exact stats, but I was two and zero against Ben Josephson. So, I mean. Not to make it all about me, but I mean, two five set thrillers, though, not exactly a clear cut beat. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess like like now that we're kind of going down that path, actually, the one thing that I've kind of always like the thing like I'm totally on board. I think Ben Joe's a great choice. The one question where I'm kind of asking myself is, you know, at Trinity Western, how much of it was actually like development and building a good team versus like your recruiting is just naturally bringing in the top players right now. And it's almost like this thing is, is momentum is just driving itself. We got top players. We're, we're likely going to win. Uh, Cause like to your point, Garrett, those, those matchups of you guys beating Trinity Western, did you feel like you guys were underdogs? Uh, it was quite clear that everybody thought we were, I mean. And, and I think to me, that's like, I've always, you know, at least the years I've looked it's always like, are we overachieving from where we should be based on the roster we have, or are we underachieving? And underachieving might be, hey, we should get, you know, we should be getting first place and we got second place. But overachieving could be, hey, we should have gotten knocked out in the quarters and we're going to win the semis. So I, I just, uh, that's the only piece where I'm like, I, I don't know. I've never, I haven't been to any of Ben Joe's practices, but it's kind of a little thought in my mind of, how much of his success at Trinity was actually developing that program versus, you know, it's rolling in some of the top players right now. And the success almost just naturally comes because you got such good talent on the team. Like what? Yeah. I haven't been in his gym. 
Yeah, like I haven't been in his gym, but when Eric Lepke came on our show, like Eric Lepke won 18U MVP as a 17-year-old. Like he was as good of a prospect as there was. And he mentioned uh, in their gym, like he changed his spin serve approach. He, he changed his attacking approach, the way he serve receives. So like even though he was like as good as an 18U player we've seen in a long time, he still got coached up. He still changed some stuff. So that, that's just one small example that I'm privy to that I think there, there's some big changes going on where, Eric, we know some schools here in Ontario where good club players go to die, right? They go in and they leave the same player or a little bit worse where I think Trinity, Benjo's got a good record and a good track record of sending guys to the next level where I, I believe they're getting better. They, they were really good. well, absolutely. Like, Yeah, I mean, like BC, it's it's so far removed from us in Ontario, especially like once you hit the university level, you don't know any of the cl- club players coming through BC. So I have no idea to compare, you know, what were these Trinity Western guys like leaving Trinity Western versus when they came in because I never know. But, you know, your story is definitely kind of, checking the boxes there which which is really good to hear yeah i mean i will say though that that is the thing about a university coach is if you get the best players and then you make them better i mean that is a winning formula but what's not necessarily as big a piece in that i think you're trying to get at eric is like is he helping his team the roster what it is achieve higher than what they maybe should based on the total skill level like is the sum of the parts greater than the whole, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, I, I think, I don't know, we won't really know because we're not in the gym, we don't have that experience as closely, but we we might get a chance to see with our national team, with him coaching that team, given, like you said, there's a lot of the same players coming back. So it'll be interesting to see like, hey, how does the team look? Do we look different? How do we perform? Like, are we, are we struggling to meet where we were now? There's a few players who have left, but are we going to be able to fill that? Like, I think it'll be an interesting time to really see and evaluate, like, hey, are you able to kind of keep this program going at its level, right? Yeah, like, I think ultimately to, to put this team in a position where everyone thinks it can go and wants it to go, you're going to have to come up with some big upsets through your career. You're going to have to come up with it through, like, World League, through... Yeah the various leagues you're gonna have to beat the brazils at some point and you know maybe you know you're not gonna beat them every time but maybe in six games you're beating them at least three you're going three and three or you're you're gonna have to beat the usa's the russia's the poland's like those are the wins like the squeaking out those kind of i'll call them upset wins are, are what's going to kind of put you in a good position to break through that quarterfinal roadblock yeah. and to potentially put put them on the podium in Paris. So the only way you can do that, like you said, Garrett, is you got to have a team where, you know, it's just totally united and the sum of their parts are they're greater than in, in the individuals. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like because, I mean, and hopefully we get a chance to watch. I don't know. That's always been a challenge for me is actually watching this until they get to the Olympics. So hopefully we'll get a chance to uh, to tune in. Josh, you'll have to keep yeah, me updated. Yeah, uh, when's Passing Dimes going to get some live streaming of these international competitions? As soon as they like... start paying us, buddy. We'll be there. <laughs> so never is what we're saying. I was actually really happy, though. Like, I, I remember going back to... Maybe it was the last uh, time they were at the Olympics, but I was like, why am I only seeing three Canadian national team games? And I'm watching the 21st event of swimming again. Like it's so I was really happy with the coverage we had this last Olympics. I feel like every single game was on either the Sportsnet or CBC channel. It was it was awesome to see. It was. It was very awesome. We got to see a lot of it. So I'm hoping that continues. I'm hoping the streams continue as well. So. We shall see. I mean, if you're still listening, thank you so much. Hit that subscribe button. I mean, hit us up on YouTube. I forgot to mention at the start of the show, Josh, like I'm losing my touch 100%. What am I doing? Um, You had something else you wanted to talk about, Josh, because you got two Western guys here. So you wanted to maybe pick our brains a little bit and uh, get inside the mind of an alpha player on a team. I mean, you got two (laughs) great examples right here. Yeah, like uh, you say alpha. I I mentioned to you uh, being like the guy. Yeah, I said alpha. I mean, mean, that's my word. So, uh, you guys didn't cross paths. Like, I don't think you were in the gym that often. I think Eric left as, as Garrett was entering. But one thing that you each told me, on, I, once again, cheap plug for our other show, Passing Nice Podcast, check it out. But uh, you both had to advocate for your own career. And if anybody's ever read Nick Nurse's book, he's really high on, like, players need selfish goals that meet the team goals. And what I mean by that is, Eric, you mentioned you recruited as a middle and Jim told you you're going to play right side. But there was a point in your career where Jim wanted to get the best six guys on the court and you were all of a sudden in the middle. You had to advocate for yourself to get back on the outside and sure enough, like, player of the year type 
like season out there. And Garrett, you would do similar things in your career where if like you were across the net from maybe somebody of my blocking ability, you'd be like, Jim, this isn't helping us get better. I need to be across the net from so-and-so. So I'm curious. Oh, if you lined up both. against me across the net, I would be shouting and screaming. I might boycott <laughs> the practice at that point. So yeah, you're right. But anyways, Actually, that was, I remember listening to Garrett talk about that. I can't remember who was on your guys' show, but I was like, that is the exact mindset I have. If you're giving me like one blocker, okay, great. I'm going to try to like tool you every single time. I was always trying to like, how can I stack the odds against me so I can actually use this situation where, yeah, I could hammer cross and score 90% of the time, but let me try to do something else and, and improve a, an ability. So okay, that was, so- I remember here, I remember listening to that episode. I was like, once again, that was another situation. Rarely happens, but I agreed with Garrett. I was yeah, like, well, yeah. So did you ever like, because it sounds like you were pushing for yourself to change position, which is something I heard a lot. Like when I was on the team, it, there was always guys trying to jockey their position and play something a little bit different, mostly middle, sometimes the right side trying to pass, whatever. Um, but uh, like in that situation, you never like spoke up and were like vocal about changing the drill you'd actually just internalize it and be like okay no i'm gonna change my behavior to make sure i get the best out of the situation yeah i was i'd say i'd say that was where we differed is i would more of the time i would say okay what can i do to make this drill more stacked against me where i can get more out of it and actually garrett we had a training session one time with uh um i was playing with aaron and you were playing beach with dan deering yeah and I think Dan was just having an awful day. Couldn't pass, right? Couldn't hit a ball in the court. And we just kept serving you either way. And I remember your dad comes up to me like we're getting a water break. He's like, why are you serving Garrett? D- Dan can't do anything. I'm like, that's great. But we're practicing. And if we just serve Dan off the court, I'm not getting any better. So I remember that why too. Don't I- yeah. I'm like, so why don't I just go at Garrett and we can actually work on defense and trying to improve. Like when I'm in practice, like, I-, I don't care about winning in a sense. I would rather stack the odds against me, find something to work on, knowing that I'm still going 100%, but ultimately the score at the end of the day didn't matter to me. It was how much did I improve during that drill. So were you the loudest guy at practice then, or was it mostly not actually? You were just kind of focused to doing your own thing. Uh, it, it was a mixture. If if people, if I felt like we were not in that mindset of, yeah, we're going 100%, I definitely spoke up. But there was like, you know, if everything was going very well, you could tell everyone was putting in top level effort. The side on the other side, the team on the other side of the net was putting up a good fight, keeping balls alive and actually allowing us to get better. Yeah, I was like, okay, great. I can work on my stuff. Everyone's delivering what they're supposed to deliver right now. But when it uh, when it got out of hand, I think I was pretty quick to speak up. When to your point, Josh, like about advocating for yourself like I always had a tough time definitely my first two years like and that's you know a 17 18 year old coming in the first and then 18 19 year old in your second year like just speaking up to these adults and like really when something you're you're feeling is not right to actually vocalize that and have the confidence to kind of step out because at that age I was one of our better players, if not our best player. But I always I felt so uncomfortable to do that. But in my third and fourth years, when I had kind of had more time with the team, I felt way more comfortable to do those things. And it, it definitely helped. Like I, my, one of my biggest regrets is that in my first year, I wasn't able to just come in and actually assert some things that I thought were important to me. For example, like a classic thing we did was always like starters versus, you know, bench we call it the box squad starters versus box and that wasn't great all the time like sometimes you need your starters to like work together and do some side out but at other times you want to like mix it up and have it be a little bit even so you challenge each other and in my third and fourth years that was something i was shouting hugely like if we were ever doing a drill that was like not just side out it'd be like no we we can't do this like even put me on the other side like we got to mix this up and like being quite vocal about that because there's no point in like us just stacking the deck in one side nobody's really going to get any better right so you're both coaches where's the line now like Garrett would you receive that well from a young guy on your team like when does it come off as selfish or disruptive versus like hey that's a really good input everybody's going to get better if we do it this way versus this is Garrett didn't want to do the drill today so now he's just going to like throw a fit you know sounds like me yeah <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know where the line is. I mean, I think respect is a big thing, right? Like, I don't think I was ever disrespected. I mean, I did cross the line a few times, definitely get upset and, you know, speak to somebody disrespectfully. But respect is a big piece, right? Like, if you say to your coach respectfully, like, hey, I, like, 
I'm not going to get any better play, hitting it. Like I want to hit against our top defense and not hit against our you know bench team. Like there's a reason these guys are on the court. I want to hit against this, and that's a respectful way. Like I think you only run into trouble when both people are, like are not listening. Like are not like if the coach just goes, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, that's a problem. And if I am not willing to say, coach has got this idea, I'm unwilling to accept that. Well, that that's not really great on my end either, right? Tough, tough with communication. I mean, I definitely didn't feel like I was in Garrett's position in my first year. Like I, I felt like I was the sixth man on the court. So it was, you know, I was totally, I kind of knew my role at that point of like, you know what, like I'm just going to let these grown men kind of run the show. Uh, I know where I fit in the pecking order here. Uh, and then when I started to be, move up that chain, I was older. So when I was able to speak, it would listen. But yeah, I think it kind of comes down to respect and there is there is different mindsets to it and and like you know obviously you're not just trying to get one person better on the court you have different theories of okay i want to get these guys better but i think as long as you can validate that like if you can tell me hey here's what i'm trying to achieve out of this goal garrett i'm not trying to get you a better hitter i'm trying to work on you know the timing of our middles off of your pass with with shot and then it's like okay great now i can actually understand what you're trying to achieve with this i think I think being able to explain the whys is a is a big thing as a coach, especially when you're kind of trying to control a gym and and uh, lay out some drills. Yeah. But yeah, it was like there was nothing worse than I remember in my early years, the uh, the starter versus box squads. It was it was like why are we even doing this? But then towards my my fourth and fifth year, we had a very strong box squad, which was a lot of the guys that were on the starting court with you, Garrett, which is why we were able to achieve those, you know, we started to improve drastically because we had such strong players on the other side of the net that could actually challenge us and beat us in some practices. Yeah. A big thing too, I used to find was like playtime was a huge concern for a lot of people. Um, including me, like I, I don't know if you felt this way, Eric, but when, like when I was at my peak, I never came off the floor, like never. And that was something that even in club, I wasn't used to like at least in club I would come off sometimes and take a rest or get somebody else in and kind of keep the momentum going and I net like in my third year I didn't come off once I was happy because I was racking up the points like hey yeah get me to the top but at the same time in my fourth year we learned the lessons that like no everybody's going to feel way more invested in this goal if like you get that kind of swap off and B I'm not going to be stressing myself too much all the time like being on the court 100% of the time even a small thing such as like at an exhibition tournament like saying hey coach like this is how many games I think I should play if you want me to play them all I'll play them all but like you know these are probably two games you could probably give me off if you're thinking about it and I'm gonna be okay even that I think like as a coach if I were to hear that I'd be like that's amazing like my one of my top players has come to me saying like I'm okay taking these off I may not do it but now I know that if I do that, they're not going to be pissed. Everybody's going to feel a lot better, right? Um, or the other thing was, you know, through the back row, like going to serve and go through the back row sub, like just a simple thing to like check out for a bit and then check back in was something I found is not natural for a lot of coaches that I had to like um, that like ask for for myself to get just because I knew that was beneficial for me and the team. You know what I mean? Like that's a tough thing for a coach to do without the okay of their top yeah. player. You don't, yeah, exactly. You don't want to necessarily, you don't know if you're rocking the boat and putting them out. But I think I didn't really hit that level until like my fourth year. And it was really more just a mindset of, I love to play the game. I was like, yeah. I just want to play. I want to play. I want to keep playing. I want right. to keep playing. So if you're going to leave me, like, I would never put up a fuss if I got subbed out during a game where we, you know, we're up 20 to 10. Um, the one thing I, the one thing I always told Jim, I was like, if you pull me out, just don't put me back in. Like I cool down, especially in my later years, I was like, I cool down so quick. I do not want to like be getting warmed back up. So if you yank me, like I'm done for the night. So, or like ideally, you know, there's a situation where if things start going sour, I'll go back in, but don't pull me in the second set with an idea of putting me back in the third. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I think that's huge, right, Garrett? Like those, those guys on the box squad, they're looking for those couple of points they get to play. They're looking for like that set or two they get to play sprinkled throughout the season. And that's what's kind of their motivation to play and work hard in practice because maybe I can beat out my other buddy on the box squad and I'm the one that gets yeah. in there and gets those points. Yeah. 
so it is, I think that's super critical for team morale and being yeah. able to just elevate the level at practice. But it's got to, you're right, you got to have the leaders that are getting pulled out need to make sure they're on board and they understand that global goal. Yeah, so that was a helpful thing I felt like I could do as as kind of the guy. But the thing I always had the biggest challenge with, Josh, and this is, and I don't even still have a great answer for it, is like, when I'm looking around at my teammates, and I know my, like, because of my performance, my word holds weight, right? Because I'm scoring all the points, when I say something, I know, even if people disagree, they'll at least, they won't tell me to shut up immediately. Whereas it's not necessarily the case if you're, like, fresh face on the squad, you're not even that good, you barely made it type thing. And, I, you know, like, there's a pecking order. But, that, like, um, talking about other players and trying to campaign for other players was always tough. Like we had a few battles in my years that were super tight between like the M2 and the M3 and the P2 and the P3. Um, not ever really the setter, but like those two positions were hotly contested as I'm sure they are on a lot of teams, right? Like I, I'm sure many teams are like that, but you know, what, what do I say to try to keep this battle healthy and keeping everybody good when maybe one guy's getting all the time and the other guy's getting none. You know, where's my place in that? Is it up like this guy's, you know, campaigning for himself, but do I support that? Like, what do I do? I, I don't have a great answer. I never really figured it out. And I think as a result, like a few of our bench guys ended up being bitter for the success of the guys who were in ahead of them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have a great answer there. Like, what, what am I like? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, that's that's tough. And you know what? I, I don't feel like we had much of that the years I played. I felt like there was a lot of buy-in on, hey, you know what? The success of the team is my success as well. But I've definitely seen a lot of teams, you know, not just you know, not just on the men's side, yeah. on the women's side, where you can literally tell they would rather be on the court and lose the game than sit on the bench and watch the team win. And it just like I just bite my lip. I'm like, oh, that's like such a bad attitude to go into like a high level sport. Like keep that in 18U club ball. Like that's, you know, that's where it belongs. But once you hit this level, it's like you got to buy into the team. And that the one thing I did like about Jim though is he would like when there was those tight battles. I remember he would always ask me about you know what do you think like oh. who, who should we go with? What, yeah, there was like I did get a lot of that input of, you know, what do you think in here and. We, we had some of those tough decisions during um, my fifth year was when Hinchy was gone and Sean had come in as a first year. There was a lot of, you know, is Sean ready? Can we get him in? And it's like, yeah, let's give the kid a try. And then it's like, a, yeah, it's not working. Let's go back. <laughs> Sean, Sean was pretty young. He wasn't as good as he, a player as when he left. But uh, there was like, we definitely tried to get him going. I think players should feel free to make suggestions, Garrett. I think when they try to influence the decision, like I, I appreciate like asking players and if they tell me like the M2, who's going to get what six balls a set, if they're better at closing blocks or if they're a better energy guy, or if they're just something that like there's a feel on the court they bring, then like that's valuable as a coach. If you're just advocating for your buddy, I don't really have a, t a lot of time for that. Like there's remember when we had a uh, Grossinger on the show, Garrett, and he's talking about like how he doesn't really, I, I shouldn't say, I should choose my words better, but uh, paraphrasing, he doesn't really value the P2 position that much, Eric, because he's going to he's gonna ride his right side and then he's going to go to his P1. So he wants certain things out of his P2 where he doesn't need his P2 to get 11 kills, right? So it's just certain systems or tactics or what do you look for in the tiebreaker between those position battles? Because if the P2 comes down to like a guy who's going to jump and get a lot of bombs, but versus a guy who's going to get digs and pass half the court, maybe sometimes like one overpowers the other based on what your system is or what the other guys on the court are looking for from that role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fair. Like, that's totally fair. But at some level, like if you're thinking about if you have two tightly contested positions and, you know, what should the playtime breakdown be there? Should the breakdown be the guy who has the slight edge gets 100% of the playtime and the other guy gets zero? Does that make sense? I mean, I feel like that's a trend in our sport that is often the case. Like, you know, if the guy's a little bit better, they get all the play time because they're a little bit better. we got to put our best foot forward, whereas there's not like it probably should be 60-40 or even 55-45. And then you see over time, you know, really where it, where it ends up. Like, especially in a sport where we have league play, where the stakes night after night are, are high, you got to win, but also you're going to end up where you're going to end up. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to – you maybe lose – 
Are you going to lose a game because you didn't put your best P2 out there? But the guy, you know, like, no, you're not. So, like, can you, can you share the time a little bit there? You probably should, but we don't see that a lot in our sport, I feel like. That was actually one thing at Western that I feel like we probably put too much emphasis on winning every single league game. Yeah. And I think at some point that sacrificed our ability, the level we could have been at come yeah. playoffs. And I, and I, one season in particular, I remember when Mac, like it seemed like it was the year Mac started to commit to this really fastball outside and they were bad during the season, but it was like, and this was like, I was in my third year and I was just a stupid third year player who didn't really understand this uh, until I got a little older where it was like, no, they were like committing to this process of we're going to go through learning pains, but come playoff time, we're going to be clicking on this. And it doesn't matter that we lost seven games earlier on because we were trying new things out or because we were trying new players because we were trying to figure out our, yeah. our actual lineup. I think we definitely put too much emphasis on, no, we got to win every single league game. And I definitely think it hurt some of our potential that we could have achieved come playoff time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now I I felt that too. Like you watch teams like struggle at the beginning of the year and then kind of are competing at a high level at the end of the year. And it's like, okay. I mean, not many teams did that. I will say that is the outlier. I think of teams who actually have the ability to have good players who can like try this high level thing and then build to it. It doesn't happen as often because I just think you don't have the ability. Um, what, I don't know if he did this when you were there, Eric, but Jim used to always, when two players were having a tight position battle, would always room them together. They were always the, oh, the roomies in the, in the hotel. And I thought, at my first thought was, this is so stupid. But then after a while, I was like, no, actually, like, this makes a lot of sense. Like, now that guy's not going and bitching to his teammate in the other room about how he didn't play this you know they're actually got to have a relationship so like in my first year i was with alan screeton pretty much every away trip we stayed because that was uh it was like p2 p3 he did that every time and i feel like it helped i don't know but like i just thought that was hilarious how he always he always did that Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I guess like if, if you can get the two players to a position point where they're supporting whoever's on the court, like I think yeah. that's when you've achieved the ultimate, like your players have fully bought into the system. Like when yeah. Screen can finally cheer and support you while you're on the court and if you get subbed out for a bad game, you're fully behind him. Like yeah. that's when you've you've got the players bought in. So sure. maybe it, maybe that comes from rooming them together on every trip. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So Josh, on this show though, like are you – you're, have you learned anything about advocating for yourself on this show? Oh, yeah, Yo, was, for sure. That was where we started. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the communication point comes down to it. I think where maybe things boiled over for you, Garrett, is there's a time and place, right? So if you're very emotional, maybe you're not going to be like heard or it comes off as selfish, where really you just wanted the best for you and the team. And you realize that uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day that like Brett Hall got away with a lot of stuff as an NHL player. And the reason his coaches allowed it is because he had a different type of pressure. He wasn't a normal dude and he was expected to score like 50 or 60 goals a season. So maybe Garrett deserves to be able to throw a tantrum in practice because he's going to get set 40 so times a game. Painting me with this brush that I was a guy who had tantrums in practice? No, it was targeted strike. I was never a guy who lost my cool, Josh. Don't paint me with this brush for the I'm fans at there's home. There's a different kind of pressure, and I think sometimes that comes with a different type of behavior, and that's okay sometimes. But if it's communicated properly, or to Eric's point, if the coach can counter and say, we're working on this, this, and this, so it doesn't really matter who's across the net because we're working on you passing for this middle's rhythm or yeah. this stuff, like you, you can gain some understanding where you just kind of get this story stuck in your head and you start like thinking everyone's against you. It's not usually true. So that mentality indoors that not many people have because it's such a formalized coach thing. That's the mentality you have to have on the beach to be successful. Like you 100% need that to be successful. There's no coach. It's you and one other guy. So like if you're not out there making the best training environment for yourself, no one's going to do it for you. So, I mean, like forget being the guy, like the guys who always had trouble, (laughs) trouble working with a team indoors. You sometimes find they do okay on the beach, right? Like, because they're advocating for themselves and maybe that pisses people off. But on the beach, you need that. Like, what I would love to see in a beach practice with, say, eight guys is, like, if something's not going right and people aren't getting the most out of it, somebody's not happy about that. Like, there's got to be some sort of advocating. They're like, no, we got to change this. Coach, what are we doing? This is garbage. Like, you know, we got to move this on so we can all get better. Like, that's the type of thing I would really love to see our beach teams get to. Because I know when I was there, it was uh, it was not like that. 
just leads to going through the motions. Like we, we had a good team meeting the other week talking about like it, it, something can't be implied. Like it needs to be explicitly said. Like I think sometimes you tell athletes, oh, you need to behave professionally. Well, what does that mean? Like for us, it means like we're starting our first drill at this time. So figure out how long your warm up needs to be. But like the drill starts here. We're not peppering and doing stuff at an eight o'clock practice, eight o'clock. Like eight o'clock is the start of practice, not like the time you arrive. Right. So we've just going over the top now that we have like a new squad and new guys coming in that like it's very explicit so we can get rid of that stuff. Because if you're having those conversations four months into your program, it's just harder to change. Right. So nothing is implied. Let's go over the top, over communicate, like get it out of the way now so we can start talking about performance when the schedules hit and uh, and we got competitions coming up in March. Well, yeah, that would be no problem if you get a little May Simon action coming in there, taking on those guys. You'd, there'd be nothing coming unsaid. Out, that's for sure. Retirements that, here. That'd be nothing unsaid. That it'd be a loud practice. That's for sure. You'd be hearing everything you need to hear, Josh. That's the only way you guys would win a drill right now is just by punching guys in the mind because I don't think you could do it technically, tactically right now. I don't think. Well, it's... tactically, yes. <laughs> technically, yes. It's physically that is the concern. Yeah. At the moment. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Technically? Oh, yeah, I can still pass. Technically. Tactically, I know what to do. Can I do it, though, is the thing. I don't know. You in good shape, Eric? Uh, not where I was before. Yeah, same. All right. So, okay. <laughs> No, it would be an interesting exper- experiment to see where it would be at, Josh, with these young You're bucks. always welcome, guys. You're you got some welcome. big units, though, on the squad, and I'm not sure I'd be ready to handle that. Like, I could take on a bunch of young, uh, like short guys, no problem. But a big dude with a block, that would be tough in this moment. What are you sure. talking about? Let's go Deering Schachter right off the hop. Well, that's that's the- the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to take out those guys, but I think that ship has, for me, has maybe sailed, Josh. <laughs> We won't know until we try, guys. The only way we would stand a chance is if I started to get in Schachter's head about his golf game. That's the best way (laughs) to do it. Nice. Okay. We've got to be careful, though. I'm not sure if any of their opponents listen to getting these guys in Germany chirping Schachter about his golf game overseas. Well, this is how it goes, Eric. This is what happened last time you were here when we lost the episode. We just kind of got to the end and fizzled out just fizzled out uh, well actually the one so when you were talking about garrett throwing tantrums i the one event that i remember sticks out in my head about me too we were in a servant pass drill and our servers were just like going 100 percent acer error and me and pat are sitting there like this isn't getting us anything better that is classic and, though servant and, pass and, guys just missing or crushing uh, and, it, and it drives me nuts and you know what like i feel like it's you like painting with a broad stroke i feel like it's usually middles and it's because, like, hey, I never get to pass. I don't know what it's like. I'm yeah. just going to work on my serve as hard as I can. Yeah, Ace Phil Rare. James, I'm sorry for calling you out. Phil was renowned for this. Phil James. So it was, this was a Phil James story. And so okay, <laughs> in his first year, and I'm passing out a one, and it's been, like, him and Matt Wade just been ace error. And their floats are really hard. Oh, when yeah. they're in, they are a nightmare to pass. Oh, yeah. And he, and he hits me with a float outside my body to the right, and I go, and I shank it into the stage, into the curtain, and I just continue with my momentum, wound up and just punched one of the water bottles full of ice and water, <laughs> sprays all over the court, and, and all you hear, and it's just like dead silence in the gym, like, what the, what just happened? And then all you hear is Luke Sim, hey, that was my bottle. <laughs> and then everyone just like bursts out laughing, and it was like, all right, like, time out, go get water, and I'm just like, guys, we can't, keep doing this fucking acer error like none of us are getting any better yeah and then it was like a much different tone coming out of that water but oh yeah there was like i maybe would have i was good for like at least one or two of those a year i'm just like complete nice. snap punt a ball into the roof or something <laughs> like that it was well that is the drill that will do it for you because i mean i, I oh. never snapped i would just leave it like if uh if there was a player who i was noticing was doing acer miss like just crush it i just not i just step out I'd be like, I'm not, no, you, you don't want, you want to do this to me? I'm not, I'm going to do this to you. Like, this is not how this works. Like, so that was my, but I never did smash a water bottle, man. That is nice. And I'm glad it was Luke's though. I think it was, it was a, it was a beautiful sight. Like from my end, it just ice and water just exploded <laughs> everywhere. Like fireworks. I could, like, you kind of painted a better, better picture. Nice. <laughs> Yes. Well, uh, glad to hear it. So, Josh, that's the kind of thing you need to see on the beach with these guys. What would you do? Would you would you like be pissed or would you like get it if it was a made sense? 
I think where we are at a program right now, Garrett, I, I'm like, I would like to like push enough buttons that we can get an outburst. Like we have not had a good outburst in a long time. Nice. Like guys are just going through the motions or they, they talk to you afterwards and they're like, that wasn't very good. I think sometimes in the moment you got to put everybody on notice that that's not okay. We're not getting better. And it's okay to have a little Garrett May tantrum every once in a while. What do you mean Garrett May tantrum? We, he just <laughs> said it was an Eric Simon tantrum. He's got a Garrett May tantrum. I'm going to have a tantrum on this show if you keep doing that. Yeah, there you go. You're about to see it. <laughs> All right, guys. But yeah, you're right, Josh. Like at the end of the drill, it's too late. The drill's over. Your opportunity to get better is gone. You've lost those 40 minutes, two hours. Like that needs to be addressed earlier. And you know what? The reality is, is I probably should have addressed it earlier. I let it boil up so much where the only outlet was punching a water bottle. If it had just been like a guy's, you know, probably could have been handled in a much more civilized situation, middle of the drill. But, uh, yeah, it was what it was. I'm looking forward to Josh you using the punching a water bottle as kind of a metaphor to the guys, but they don't realize that it's actually literal. Like, no, like we're trying to get to a punch or water bottle moment here. Like we're pushing ourselves, and they think Josh's it's a metaphor. Josh's next practice is just going to be it's the just lined up. water bottles just sitting here. <laughs> I need to know, was it one Caps of the Gatorade, like, on. that's what I mean, though. You probably punched, like, a plastic Gatorade one. Our guys have, like, the metal ones that keep them cold for 12 hours and all that stuff. Like, they're going to hurt themselves if they just start punting their water bottle. Yeah, okay. It was a Yeti. No, <laughs> no it's not. It was not the Yeti. Yeah, it was, it was like the white Gatorade bottles, yeah, and the, the cap flew off and everything, too, so. Yeah, you got to yeah, get some of those, Don't recommend it on your, your Nalgene's or your Yeti bottles. <laughs> Yeah, you got to get some of those disposable water bottles just because it's a great prop for just punishment. Yeah. Well, great story, Eric. And, I mean, thanks for joining us. This is how this show goes. We get to the end, and uh, we we either don't want to end or we're sick of each other. We'll leave that unspoken. But um, thanks for joining us, and that's how the show. I mean, hopefully we don't lose this one this time. So for your second time, did we do better than the first? I mean, we dropped some fat. I like this better, yeah. I, I thought this was better. I, I felt like it was a little more authentic. You know, there was, I don't feel like there was, you know, intentional having to go against each other. I felt it was like a natural kind of open discussion full of lots of opinions. And we we got deep, right? Like, I, I was surprised we could talk about Ben Joe and our national head coach for so long. But uh, we yeah, did I guess it. We all had a lot of thoughts around that, I guess, as coaches. I hope volleyball turns into like curling because curling, that's what people do. They just watch and critique the strategy, what everybody's doing. Yeah. So maybe we can get help, help further get volleyball to that moment where we sit around, have a beer and just judge whatever the heck's happening on the court. No, at the time. We can be this. leaders on that. We can be leaders in our sport on just judging everyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm so game for that. Well, so that'll do it for this episode. If you guys are still listening, thank you so much. I mean, get out there, do some coaching or play some volleyball or something. But thank you for listening. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Um, thanks for having me. I don't me. know, Five Star, the podcast. Hit us up on YouTube, Sharp Cuts Volleyball, all that great stuff. Share us your Spotify stuff. The amount of messages I'm getting that we're like number one or like top five on people's list, Garrett. There's been three. I mean, the amount of messages I'm getting. There's been three people who reached out that like we're on their Spotify list, which is awesome. See, we should have said that at the beginning. We kind of blew it because now I know from the stats that only... 5% of people who watch the YouTube video are still watching at this point. So if that's you... Lisa Tam is for sure watching thank right you now. I'll so bet it. much. Thank you. But you know what? It, it might be me, but only because I listen to you guys when I'm cutting the grass and going on bike rides. And my grass cutting usually ends at 40 minutes and the bike rides, so I'll get a full episode in on a bike ride. But... Okay, so get on some more bike rides here, because we need that extra... Yeah, that extra... There nah. It's too cold out now, man. My <laughs> hands freeze on the handlebars. Yeah, shoot. You're going to not be listening to the show for a while because all the snow on the ground... and. I I shovel bike. snow. When I shovel snow, okay, I got nice. you guys in the air. <laughs> All right. Maybe put it on one and a half times so you can like condense I the episode. Do, I do. Okay. That's a good hack for all those listeners out there. Throw it on one and a half times. You get through an hour episode in 45 minutes, I guess. So that must be the people <laughs> listening right now, though, who put it on... 1.5 times, times speed even to make yeah. it to the end. So if I talk really fast, can you really understand what I'm saying? Cause it's going really, really, really fast at the moment. Or does it like, should I slow down and do I set, you know what? We're not going to go down this road. I got to end this episode before we get even more off topic. Thank you guys for joining us and we will see Thanks. you. Let me know when I can come back folks. We will not. Cause you're good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time.